Hello, this is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to the Mosaic Portland podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online uh, to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that, we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening from. We think these right now are the best way to be known, to connect with others, uh, and to be on mission together. They're also where we pray together on Sundays in smaller communities, where we take communion together and debrief what the talk was about and engage scripture more. If you want to find out more information of how to be a part of one in this season, you can find out more info on our website, mosaicportland.org. Now let's go to scripture together as we listen to this podcast. Five hundred and twenty. Five hundred and twenty new words got approved in January of two thousand and twenty-one into the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. 520 new words. If, if you didn't know this before, this happens every year. We add new words to our vernacular, to our dictionary. New words that have new meanings, new words that we've never used before. Things that come into our world and usage that reveal to us that things have changed, that new things have shown up. I'm fascinated by these. I, I love hearing the updates and what the new words are. I've never before gone and looked and the whole list and read through a few. And then I was shocked when I just looked and heard there was 520. We always hear a few unique ones and that's kind of entertaining and great, but 520 new words. And these new words, again, they always point to the things that are new, that there's been changes in our world, in our culture, in how we live. And these words tell us that they reveal that in some way. No surprise, COVID-19 is a new word. It's accepted into the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And in fact, it's the fastest to ever go from coinage to somebody using it for the first time to being accepted into the dictionary. 34 days that that happened. That's the fastest any word has ever happened. Here's another new word, uh, flex. Flex in and of itself isn't a new word, but there's a new definition to the word. And it means uh, bragging or showing off. And again, that might be news to you if uh, you haven't kept up on social media or if you don't pay attention to hip hop at all. But flexing is bragging or showing off. And so you can flex a new watch or an outfit or a dance move or something you're really skillful at and you can flex. There you go. That's that's a new word. If you haven't heard that, um, some of you might be thinking that's that's new. That just got accepted in the dictionary. Yes. Uh, here's another one. Gig worker. A gig worker is somebody who has a temporary job and uh, they're an independent contractor or freelancer. It's temporary and it's typically in some kind of service industry. That's a whole new part of our world and our culture and how we live. A gig worker, that's a new word that got entered in. If new words that get entered into our vernacular, to our dictionary, reveal how things have changed, I think that words that we lose, that we no longer use, whether they get deleted out of the dictionary or not, words that we no longer use also reflect change in our world, in our culture, and how we live. A professor at Baylor University named Dr. Perry Glanzer uh, did a study uh, over the last 50 or 60 years of a word that we're losing out of our culture, a word that we use less and less. It's still in the dictionary, but it matters that we're using it less and less. It reveals to us a way that we have changed as a culture, as a world, and and how we live and act and treat one another. And this word is particularly important because 
It's a word that Jesus used to describe himself. It's a word that characterizes Jesus. And because it characterizes Jesus, it's to characterize his followers as well. The word is gentleness. Gentleness. To be gentle. Gentleness is used less and less, technically less and less. I mean, it's been, it's been researched. In, in, in academics and education and literature, it's used less and less, fewer and fewer times. A revival in uh, virtues came about in the, in the, in the 70s and, and 80s. And people began writing books about virtues again. And gentleness rarely ever showed up. In states that have adopted virtue education, in public education, gentleness doesn't show up. There's a list of 64 across all, all states that do that kind of education in uh, elementary and middle schools, and it doesn't show up. Gentleness doesn't show up. If you do a Google Ngram search, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's where, where words show up in, in literature, that gentleness is used less today than it has at any point in the last 300 years. So in the 1700s to now, gentleness is used less and less. If you want a Microsoft Word and you type in gentlemen, there'll be a little red squiggly line underneath. And the recommendation is to change it to men or to people, to take gentle out. Gentle gentleness is being used less and less as a word. And so it's maybe no surprise that what we see around us, what we see on screens in front of us, what we hear in the news, what we observe in culture in general, is that intensity and debate and even hate is increasing and gentleness is decreasing. We're changing and the use of that word is, is less and less. And yet Jesus uses it to describe himself. In, in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28, 29, and 30 are, are familiar verses. These might sound familiar to you, but, but the word gentle shows up in here. And, and although this verse, these verses might be familiar to you, you might not even re realize that it's been in here before. So let me read this, and maybe you're hearing this for the first time, or maybe these will sound familiar to you, but listen for that word. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and that's more than just a few of us right now, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, here it is, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says that he is gentle and humble in heart. It's actually one of the things that Jesus says, this is why I want to invite you to be with me because I am gentle. Later on, there's this passage um, where Jesus is also described as, as gentle. And it's actually quoting a prophet that said it long before it actually took place, this scene, this event actually took place. And it's one that we read uh, just a few weeks ago. It describes what, what we know as the triumphal entry. And the beginning of the week that would end with Jesus's arrest, trial, conviction, brutal beating, crucifixion on the cross, burial in the grave, and then resurrection, that week in history begins with this triumphal entry. And Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he's acknowledged as a king. There's this celebration as a king, and it's to fill this prophecy. But listen to this. It says this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And this is in Matthew chapter 21. That's verse 4. Verse 5 says this. Here's what was spoken. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a foal, 
of a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. That scene is, is always so inspiring to me because I know Jesus and I've read about Jesus and I've walked with Jesus for a long time. And so when I read that scene again, when I picture that scene again, I know who Jesus is and all of the power that he has, that he has done miracles, that he's done teachings, that he has people following him. And yet he, he sits on an undersized animal and walk and it walks him into Jerusalem and there's a celebration and he's entering. And he's been acknowledged as a king. He's fulfilling prophecies that says the king will come in that way. But he's there and his, his feet are literally dragging on the dirt road underneath the small donkey. And he's a king. And he says, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. I'm gentle and humble. I'm coming gentle. I'm not coming like other kings have come, which ride with more fanfare on a chariot pulled by horses with armored up soldiers all around them coming in with a display of power, he comes in gentle. And so Jesus himself uses this word to describe him. It's part of the invitation for each and every one of us to be with and to follow and to know Jesus is because he's gentle. It's a key part of who he is and how people would have experienced him. And then for those of us that know Jesus, we're to live this out as well. We're to embody this. We're to, to be gentle as well. As we're moving through this series that we've called Resurrection People, that because Jesus has risen from the dead and his church began some 2,000 years ago, that we're part of that, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we're to be like Jesus. We're to be a church like Jesus. We're to look like Jesus. And if gentleness is, is being sifted out and reduced and diminished in our culture, what is it like for us to come in and be a gentle people and to be noticeably different than everyone else around us. Jesus was noticeably different. People that knew him and walked with him, his first followers knew that he had a unique power. And yet he frequently laid that down and demonstrated a gentleness that drew others to himself. And we're called to be that today. Paul writes later on throughout the New Testament in his letters to the church to say, be this kind of people. This is Words to encourage the early church and encourage us today, to correct the early church, to correct us today, to direct us, to disciple us. And so as we look at Paul's words, we, we find that he points back to Jesus. In one of his letters to the Corinthian church, which had a whole mess of issues and were messed up in so many ways, he says this, and he's defending himself to them. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Paul could be a, a fairly aggressive guy, fairly intense guy. He could be very kind and calm as well. But at times he had, to, he had to get a little direct, very direct, with some of the early church that was drifting away from Jesus and the kind of life that he'd called them to, or that their beliefs and their theology were getting off track. And so he says, in, a, in, a, in the process of having to be very direct with them, he says, I want to do this in the gentleness and humbleness of Jesus, in the humility that Jesus had. I want to even correct you in that way. And then he goes on and he writes to uh, the church in, in Ephesus and he says, be completely humble and gentle. Ephesians chapter four, verse two. To the church in Philippi, let your gentleness be evident to all. To the church in Colossae, in chapter three, verse 12, clothe yourselves with gentleness. Gentleness is used throughout the letters to the New Testament church, to the first church. And it's to be for us as well, that we're to be this kind of people. It's described in, in one of the greatest sentences 
that capture who we're to be as followers of Christ in describing the fruit of the Spirit. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we're to rely on the Spirit. And when we rely on the Spirit, we're changed and we become different kind of people. We can't self-discipline ourselves into being and demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is something that grows out of our reliance on the Holy Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things come out of us when we're relying on the Holy Spirit and we're becoming more like Jesus. The very next verse says this. It says, against these things there is no law. And what it means by that is that we can't legislate for these things. We can't make laws and then become this kind of people. It's by being invited by Jesus to be with him and to become more like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of those things is to be gentle. And again, we're to be that. I love how, again, uh, this Baylor uh, University professor, uh, Dr. Perry Glanzer, he describes gentleness in this way. Listen to, listen to his words on this. He says that gentleness is the sensitivity and willingness to forego power for the sake or benefit of another. The sensitivity and willingness to forego power for the sake or benefit of another. And to be gentle is, is to lay down power in, in some way. It's not to be powerless, and it is certainly and absolutely not, as we look at Jesus, it is not to be weak. Jesus is, was not weak in, in any way. In fact, Jesus exudes strength consistently, even while being gentle. I don't know what you're, you picture when you hear the word gentle. When I hear the word gentle, one of the first things that comes to mind is the phrase gentle giant. Um, and I don't know that I've ever been really close friends with a gentle giant. I've been friends with a giant. One of my best friends in high school was six foot 11. I think that qualifies as being a giant. Love my friend, Chris. We were awesome friends in high school, um, but he was not gentle. There were moments when he was gentle. And the moments I knew when he was gentle was when he actually didn't exude his strength at that moment. It was still there. His hands were giant. He would push us around as we would as high school guys and have fun together. And he played on the basketball team and he was strong and big. And yet there were moments where he could lend a helping hand where he could not exude all of his strength because he was bigger than all of us. And he would make himself just like one of us and play on our equal playing field at times. I don't know what you think of when you think of gentle. When I think of gentle giant, what I'm reminded of is that those that have a lot of strength or that are large can lay that strength down for a moment to forego power and in that demonstrate gentleness. Another way to describe gentleness is a caring and calm humility that allows one to see others as God sees them. Another way to say this is that it, it's focused on an other person's flourishing, that we're focused on other people's flourishing, that, that we can be calm and caring about another person because we see them as who God has created them to be, of who they are. And when we do that, we also, maybe you, you can hear this in it as well, we can turn that around on ourselves. We can actually be gentle to ourselves, to extend a gentleness to ourselves by seeing us through God's eyes, that we have extreme value because God created us and says that we're valuable and chooses to love us that he's created us in his image, that every single person is created in the image of God. And when we see another person in that way, rather than being abrasive or intense or seeking to win at whatever it might be, that we look at another person through the lens that God sees them, that they're created in the image of God 
that would prompt us to gentleness, to a caring and calm kindness extended to another. I want to I want to give you four ways that I think that that we are uh, challenged to be gentle in a world that is that is less than gentle far too often. So quickly, here's four ways. The first one is this: that that you would consider committing to winning less. Not winless, not to be winless. If you've ever been on a team and you've not won a single game, that's not a fun experience. Not to be winless, but to, to win less, to win fewer times, to be willing to not win. If you want to call that losing, that's fine. There is so much debate, so much discussion, whether it's uh, anonymously online, whether it's with a family member, whether it's a coworker or friend, whether it's somebody that you're standing in line with somewhere. That we're, we're so consumed with putting ourselves on top that it's no wonder that gentleness is, is deleting out of our culture and our vernacular. But when we choose to win less and not to, not to win all the time, what we're actually doing is, is clarifying where the real, real battle is. See, this might surprise you, but we're not in a battle with other people. We're not... If we're a follower of Jesus, if we're to be resurrected people, if we're to be a church like Jesus, we're actually not in a battle with other people. When we see another person as, as God's creation, we don't go to battle with them. We not fight against them, but rather to engage them in a way that values them and be willing to, to let them win and to walk away and to realize that the battle is not with them. It's often with ourselves, or as scripture says, with the powers and principalities that are influenced by Satan that are against God. And that's always going on, but it's also frequently going on where we're battling against ourselves, where we want our own pride. We want our own voice to be heard. We want to feel better about ourselves. And all those things can, can push away insignificance, can squash down shame if we can have the last word, if we can be right, if we can win. And so the battle is often behind, between ourselves. And to clarify, that's where the battle is, is not with another person. It's okay if they win the argument. It's okay be willing to win less. There's this great call in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we read of, uh, and all of uh, uh, Peter's letters are written to followers of Jesus who don't have a position of authority in their culture, in their cities. And he's writing to them and saying, you're the minority, you're on the margin already. Here's what it's, here's how to live that way. Listen to this. Do not repay, this is, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And we know many discussions and debates and arguments end up with insults and may even stretch into to evil. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Imagine responding to intensity or insult with a blessing. That's really hard. That's, that's wild to consider doing that. When somebody insults you to respond with a blessing, what, how bizarre and different and unique would we appear as followers of Jesus if we returned evil and insult with a blessing, with gentleness, with kindness in some way? We're called to that. We would stand out. We would be different. We would be a church like Jesus. Here's the second thing, is that you would forego power. 
in, uh, in first Timothy and then later in Titus, we have Paul writing to leaders of the early church. And one of the character requirements was that they would be gentle, that they would not be harsh, that they would be gentle. And so wherever you're a leader, wherever you have power, wherever you have authority, whether it's in parenting or in a management role in your job, or even if it's just among a peer group where you find yourself consistently the one that everyone looks to for decisions or directions, wherever it is that you have an exercise of power in some way, would you find ways to forego it, to, to let it down? That is not abdicating power. That is not releasing power but it's willing to let it down. And one of the most practical ways to forego power in our world, in our culture right now, is to speak less and to listen more. To speak less and to listen more. What if, and we're recording this on Wednesday and Sunday, and yesterday we, we heard the, the verdict read uh, in the Derek Chauvin trial. Guilty on all three accounts. And we saw the response to that. And as we're processing that response and as we're in discussions, we're reading posts and we're talking with friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers, there's a whole lot of different kinds of response. And what if instead of getting our opinion or our response out there, that we take a posture of listening? I have power to express my voice. I have power to, to use my influence and my opinion and my thoughts about it, whatever they may be, that we put those to the side and we say, hey, how are you feeling about this? What are you thinking about this? How has this impacted you? And be willing to listen and maybe even perhaps win less if it turns into a debate or an argument, but just be willing to listen. Dallas Willard, one of the, the most influential men in my life, and I consider him a, a mentor, although I only spent two weeks with him, that's it, but his books have influenced me significantly and I, I value his voice uh, in my own journey. God's used him tremendously. Dallas Willard uh, was a, a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California and, and was uh, answering questions from students in a lecture one time. And, uh, a, a student who was fairly young went after this veteran chair of the Department of Philosophy at University of Southern California and just blasting him and asking him questions and debating him and thinking differently than him and expressing a very different opinion and conviction. And Alice Willard heard it all, took it in, thanked him. After the class, um, one of the uh, uh, older students who knew Dallas ran up to him and, and said, why, why didn't you why didn't you shut him down? Why didn't you show him the error of his ways? Why didn't you correct him? He was off on so many things. Chair of the Department of Philosophy at University of Southern California, Dallas Willard says, you know what? I'm, I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Dallas Willard is a gentle man. If you've ever seen him or been around him or read his read, gentle. He exuded that character of Jesus Christ. I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. I'm foregoing my power and I'm listening. Last two things are this, um, that we use language to de-escalate. One way that we can be gentle is to use language to de-escalate situations. Uh, just heard this story of a, of, a, of a guy who was riding with a friend in his uh, new Jeep and came to a, a stoplight and he said it was on a sunny day and a summer day and the, the Jeep was clean and looking great and I was so happy to be in it and I looked over at my buddy, we were just having a great drive and a, another Jeep pulls up with four guys in it next to him. And the guy that was driving looked over and said, your Jeep is a piece of fill in the blank. And the guy that was driving who's telling the story says, you know what, I, I thought in that moment, 
I have a lot of ways that I can respond. And then my knee jerk reaction and perhaps for you, you're putting yourself in the situation going, yeah, I know exactly what I would say in that situation. And, and I certainly do as well. That's why the story stands out to me because his response is actually to turn and look to him and say, why'd you say that? Why would you say such a thing? And the guy that was, had said the comment looked down for a minute and then looked up and looked back at him. And he goes, Hey, how do you like your Jeep? And the guy said, Oh, I love it. And the guy wrote, said back to him and he said, all right, hey, have a great night. See ya, and drove off. Proverbs chapter 15, verse one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we know this, and we've done both before, but that we would use language to de-escalate. We can do that. The last thing is this, pray for someone else's flourishing. If you're having a hard time with somebody, if, you, if you're picturing somebody in your mind that you just cannot be gentle with, would you take time this week to talk to Jesus about that person and pray specifically for their flourishing, that their life would become better, that whatever they're struggling with would go away, that they would flourish in every possible way, that God would bless them. And